I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is, I'm against it. No matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it. Your proposition may be good, but let's have one thing understood. Whatever it is, I'm against it. And even when you've changed it or condensed it, I'm against it. I'm opposed to it. On general principles, I'm opposed to it. Hey, I'm Michael Patton. I'm really excited about this because I am going to be able to shut down everything that Samson says. And I should be able to do that because I'm the president of Credo House Ministries and I've got this THM from DTS. Now listen to what he has to say. Hey, I'm Samson Kovach. I'm from the Theology Pit and I'm really excited that Michael's going to shut down everything that I have to say. Uh, that's, that makes me excited. I have a MAR from uh, TSM. <laughs> I'll just, I'll say it like that. This is Divergent Theology, where we take topics, Michael and I both have bit different backgrounds theologically, and we sort of clash them together, and we, we see what happens when the world of theology actually doesn't agree with itself. Okay, right. let's go. Let the horses okay, loose. Okay, so, yeah, it's my turn to lead. Michael, you led last time with denying um, Sola Scriptura, which was really fun because... You, it's like you denied Sola Scriptura, but you didn't deny Sola Scriptura. And, exactly. And that's why it's sub. That's why it's it, 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 it wasn't a way, but you know what? In a way, it wasn't because you were challenging the popular notion of Sola Scriptura. Yeah. And what I'm going to do is I'm I'm going to, in a sense, deny Sola Fide, but I'm not going to deny the popular understanding of it. I'm going to make the argument that the popular understanding of it is actually incomplete. And so the mm. way we're thinking about it is very shallow. And because it's very shallow, we don't have the full picture of what sola fide is to the point where I don't think that we should actually use the term sola fide anymore because it, it lends itself to the idea that it is my individual faith. And however I think about that, that that is what justifies me. And it leads to something called fideism, where people have faith in their faith. And, Ooh, and so, okay. so I'm going to deny this doctrine, but I want to, I want to lay out a couple, uh, a, a couple points first so that people aren't just like shutting this off immediately. It's like, it's like hanging here and just <laughs> get, you're writing me hate mail already. Cause you believe me, there's going to be plenty of Hey, because man. you're denying Sola yes, Fide, I am. is what you're but saying. But I'm right denying now. it. With a, with a got justification t shirt right. on, you're yes. denying Sola Fide. I yeah. just want everybody to know. I'm denying the, the popular and the classical understanding of Sola Fide. Mm. Okay. So okay. Um, I, I'm going to say that the. I just turn this off midway, you know, and just leave. <laughs> Keep on doing it, man. I think you're doing a great job here. <laughs> but I think I think the way that it's understood is actually illogical. When we when we look through the way sola fide is explained, I think that it's it's illogical if you take a step back. If you look at it from the perspective of somebody that has never thought through the doctrine of sola fide. They've never read the systematic theologies on it. They've never really delved into it. And you try to explain it to someone, it sounds illogical. And I'm going to make the argument that it, it just might be unbiblical if we leave it the way that it is historically. 
it it may be unbiblical. And I think that the problem, our main problem, is how we understand the function of faith. Now, I know you're not a big fan of N.T. Wright. I am. Um, and in, in Paul and the Faithfulness of God, he he makes this, this point that says the way we think about faith may need to be looked at in the same way that Luther thought about grace. He looked at it and said, how is the popular understanding of grace being poured into something, being infused, that, you know, gratia infusa? Um, and he said, no, it's it's actually a favor dei. It's the favor of God. It's not something poured in, but it's a forensic declaration. And Wright made the argument that perhaps we're doing the same thing with faith. Maybe we need to take a look at it, and it's actually bigger than what we're attributing to it. So I think that the way we think about how it functions maybe a part of our problem. All right. Now, what I'm saying is that the, the individual is not justified by their faith in Christ. I want to make that clear. I am saying that the individual is not justified by their faith in Christ. Yeah. Why don't you start yeah, with something exactly. easy? You know? I, I, I told you I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to hit this hard right off the bat here. You're not, you're not going the direction I thought you were. I, I I mean that's out of the question. Yeah, okay. yes. Keep right. on going. We'll so see. I'm I'm now what I want what I want to explain here. I'm talking about justification only. I'm not talking about salvation as a total. A, a total. Okay. I'm not talking about yeah. sanctification. I'm not talking about glorification. We're just going to focus on the doctrine of justification. Um, I'm I'm not saying that individual faith is useless in salvation. Okay, I'm not saying that it's it's nor am I saying that it's useless in justification. I'm saying again, I'm going to repeat this. I'm saying that the individual, the faith that the individual has is you're not justified. The individual who has that faith is not justified by that faith in Christ. Okay, so I'm I'm talking about, you know, the Protestant view you know, which includes Calvinism and Arminianism here. And I'm going to make the argument that Protestantism actually proclaims volunteerism that leads to fideism. So each group, uh, each, each Protestant view ultimately comes down to, at some point, I volunteer to be justified and, and that's, and that's where the, 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 the argument lends. Does God... Sure, Let me sure. ask you something. Are you are you right beside me whenever people are watching this? Yeah, yeah. Which, which I, side? To the left. Um, or I'll the be right? to your left. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just I just want to look at you. Okay. You All right. Good. Well. All right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, the the abstract of of kind of what I'm saying here. Um, is going to be this, that modern Protestant Christians trust in personal faith rather than Christ for the impetus of justification. Okay. That reformed theology has influenced Protestantism in defining both justification and faith in such a way as to implicitly teach fideism. And that an understanding of this claim can be demonstrated if you survey uh, books on systematic theology, any topical books uh, related to justification and faith, and any commentaries that support them as as proof texts. And ultimately, that has influenced biblical translations that are that are popular to highlight this particular doctrine and why more people would actually see this 
sort of skewed perspective of justification and faith when they read scripture. All right. So um, also one thing that we do have to take note is that um, John Calvin's institutes were so influential in creating the lexicon of justification and faith that if you go through um, some of the major reform confessions, like the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Second Helvetic Confession, the Canons of Dort, Westminster Confession, of course, that all of those are using his definitions and his ideas. So we have to look at you know what what Calvin thought of this and and really get this this idea in total. Um, now here's here's some things that I'm not saying. Okay, because I don't want people to jump on on me and say that, well, you're trying to say that, you know, some people or all people or, or whoever believe that their faith, if they believe that they're that they are justified by their faith in Christ, that you think that they think that their faith is some type of force, that it's some type of energy, that there's something about their faith that actually gives effort for them to be saved. And I'm not saying that mm. I'm not making that argument. Yeah. Is that the same thing as saying faith and it, faith? It, it's similar to saying faith and faith, but but faith and faith is um, faith in the confidence of what you're trusting in, where this is yeah. you've been granted something that actually has redeeming power to it. And if you exercise that redeeming power, that then the faith is the thing that justifies you. Where I'm not saying okay. that because right. because a lot of um, especially Arminians get accused of that get accused of well you think that it's by the power of your faith as though your faith had some type of power to justify you and that's not I'm not going in that direction either okay yeah. and um, I'm not saying that all people think that you know faith somehow justifies even if it's not some type of power that a lot of people would say well no it's not my faith it's the object of my faith. So I'm very well aware of, of these arguments, and I'm not going in that direction. I'm saying that all okay. of Protestantism confesses a merit-based justification while denying it simultaneously and necessarily for okay. justification. So that okay. is my opening rant. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you, do, I, do I ask questions here or try to, uh, cause I'm trying to get clarification here because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, if he's going here, no problem because you know, I'm there anyway. If you're going over here, then I'm not sure where you're going. And we'll, well just that's, that's your job. Waiting. It's to help me. I mean, to, okay, to help well, you need to be clarified. The audience needs to be clarified. You need to start. Well, here, here, here's what, here's what a lot of people that are, uh, you know, at least, uh, Calvinist who, are I, I think really do think through all of the implications of what it is that mm -hmm. we believe, and you take uh, the doctrines of you know the sovereignty of God, the doctrines of uh, 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 unconditional election yeah. and such, and you and marry that with the doctrine of mm -hmm. justification, and you say what is the instrumental cause? Because that's what we're talking about: instrumental causes, right? I mean, you've got the grounds of our faith being Jesus, and then often people say the instrumental cause. Yeah, Calvin's language. That's word that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is the justification or is the faith that mm -hmm. justifies, right? 
I mean, uh, of course, we do have a lot of scriptures. I'd like, I don't know about the ones that you're talking about where it says they've been translated in such a way that makes well, us you, go that direction. I mean, you, but, uh, just, just to touch on that real quick, you know from um, your, your Greek classes, whenever you'd have to do a translation, you, you kind of have the choice of do I go, you know, the word for word, the thought for thought, or can I translate it in such a way that it's easier for people to see this important doctrine? That's here, oh, and yeah, so that's yeah. so that's what I mean yeah. when I when I say influencing translations. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so so here, whenever whenever Calvinist approaches this, the dilemma that we have is that we say, wait a minute. Okay, if there's if faith is the thing that justifies, then it's uh, something. Uh, th- then how is it that election plays mm-hmm. a part in mm-hmm. this? And people would say, well, you know, the thing that justifies and they would take this and they would say justification. You have the ordo salus, which is the uh, order of salvation. You got justification coming first and then way down the uh, down the line, you got glorification. And so justification is the first. But even before that, before time is the is the election of God. So God unconditionally elects people at some point uh, in time. He sent Jesus to die in the fullness of time and uh, provided the atonement. And after the atonement, now justification was possible, whereas beforehand people were uh, uh, not justified. They it's not that they weren't justified by faith, but it's now the object of their justification has, uh, you know, paid paid the credit card, mm-hmm. right? That was being built up for them. And so then, you, if you have the justification that comes afterwards, you'd say, well, is the justification is your salvation really? Because that's what it comes down to: salvation, justification, the full process. Is it by faith? Is the full process by it? And what would Calvinists would say, well, really, no. I mean, faith isn't that because you have to have something that happens in between uh, the atonement and your faith that causes you to be able to believe and releases you from your depravity. We mm-hmm. talk about total depravity and total depravity says we're all born dead. We're all, we're all stillborn spiritually. And therefore we cannot in our natural condition come to a point where we do have faith in Christ. So it's not as if we're spiritually dead and we're, we're walking through life and somebody presents the gospel to us and you have a decision to make whether you're going to ex- exercise that faith or not. And a Calvinist has the uh, ability in his own nature to now exercise his faith because he was elected. No, you have to have this little thing called being born again. And this is what may, may surprise a lot of people whenever it comes to Calvinism is that Calvinists believe that a person is uh, born again or regenerated before faith. Uh, you're born again in order so that you can have faith. They're not really that. I mean, because that sounds like faith is the ultimate purpose of all this. You're born again and therefore, put it this way, the first fruits of your justification will be faith. So you're actually born again and you can have it two different ways. You can say you're born again, and then you have faith, and then you're justified. Or you could say you're born again, and you're justified, and therefore you have faith. But the whole idea here is that there's the first fruits of our salvation that's always going to be to place our trust in Christ. And that's why it can be thought of or even spoken of in the scriptures as an instrumental cause. Being the instrumental cause here now, you have um, I mean, you have all kinds of things that talk about this. Uh, you know, in Romans chapter 10, it says, calling upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It talks about being baptized in Acts chapter 2. Uh, you have all kinds of things that are so close to the event, so close to the idea for these people, for the apostles, that you would do this. 
that uh, they are often seen as the instrumental cause of justification. Whenever the instrumental cause of justification is not your faith, it is Christ, and Christ is the instrumental cause of your faith, uh, which either brings about justification or uh, produces justification, uh, or is uh, is produced by justification. Okay. Is that in, what you're talking in, about? In a Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. I am Samson Kovach. I'm the co-host of Divergent Theology and the host of uh, The Theology Pit. Here to take a moment of your time to, you know, shamelessly plug some of our stuff that we do. Now, I know you've been asking yourself while you're watching these episodes of Divergent Theology, hey, how can I become a Divergent Theologian? Well, that's a great question. First thing you have to do well, you have to know why you believe what you believe. And the reason for that is because you have to know what's in the realm of, let's say, non-heresy and the realm of heresy. You have to know how far you can go and diverge in each direction and still remain an Orthodox Christian. What's that? <laughs> yes, the best way to go about doing that, in my opinion, is to go to crudohouse.org. Now, what I would recommend is you start off with the discipleship program. Discipleship program is a great way to get an introduction into, you know, what you believe as a Christian. It's broken down into uh, 10 sessions here. Michael's done a good job with this, uh, looking at the Bible, mankind, the Trinity, Jesus, faith, like um, living with God, those sort of things. Um, it's in, you know, two separate sections, but this is if you really are new to the faith or kind of you're thinking of a way, hey, how in my church can I teach something? It's a great, uh, great ministry tool. But you're saying, Samson, look, I'm already a Christian. I've been a Christian a while. I want to go deeper. Oh, okay. We have the theology program here. I would say you start off with your introduction to theology. You can all find all of this stuff, credohouse.org. And, uh, Go through the six-course program, and you'll know a little bit more about why you believe what you believe. Now, as a divergent theologian, and I've, you know, taught and worked with uh, Credo House, even back when it was called Reclaiming the Mind, um, on my podcast, you notice the Theology Pit, where you can go to theologypit.com, you can get great things like mugs and shirts. I have some new shirts that I've made up, says I can do all things through scripture taken out of context. Support the ministry that way you'll notice that I diverge a little bit more. I am neither a Calvinist nor am I an Arminian. I'm free to do that. Uh, there are other things out there, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But that's where you can be a divergent theologian. So check out the sites, check out the, the books and all the wonderful resources that we have at both of these sites and the podcasts. Don't forget Theology Unplugged, one of the biggest podcasts, theological podcasts on Apple. Another nice little tip, when you're learning Greek, use cards. Use your Greek cards as bookmarks. It's great. Apocrinomai. <laughs> Answer indeed. Oh, Michael, what are you thinking? <laughs> In a sense, I'm not going at the order salutis, but if we want to talk about that for a bit, we can, because that is a big understanding within this. Now, um, scholars differ on 
Do you have any like good graphs to put up for the um, Orlando Yeah, I, I, I could pull. I could pull some up. Like some real good ones that are made for Credo House Ministries on the theology program on on the doctrine of salvation. That is one of the, the greatest. I, I, I could look at it, but some of the research that I've done, um, faith is always preceding justification, whether it's, it's the Arminian order salutis or the, um, Calvinist order salutis. It always precedes it. Yeah. Not always. Always. (laughs) It's not always. always. Trust me. It's Um, not always. Okay. But anyways, the, the, uh, the point is, is that, um, that the instrumental cause of justification the the way it's understood, the instrument of it is used like a tool that you use, that the individual uses to justify. Are you talking about the right way or the wrong I'm, way right now? Are you I, saying this is the way people think about it? Or I'm talking this about this is the way that R.C. Sproul defines it. Okay, okay so Sproul... Okay. Which is a, which is a, a yeah, and, and this actually um, comes from his, uh, his work. It's, it's a three-volume set that he wrote on um uh under i think it's understanding uh, on understanding the westminster confession but i think it's called truths we believe and it's it's a it's a three right. volume set i think it's in it's in volume i think it's in volume one i'm trying to trying to find it in my notes here exactly but um yeah but he defines the instrument and he he says it's like a tool it's like any other tool you're given a tool that you then have to use so and you're not justified until you use that tool. Okay. Sure. Now, John Calvin gets a little iffy with this, with his his understanding of of it being the instrumental cause. Um, he he talks about it in his um you know in his his third book in the um in the Institutes, and um in a section I, I can't I have to pull up the exact sections, um. But he, in, in one area, he speaks of it in a Trinitarian way, in justification, in a very you know, Trinitarian outline. And the instrumental cause at this point is the Holy Spirit. Okay. okay. And whether it's the Holy Spirit giving you this faith, you know, whether it's like it's two sides of the same coin, it's the same thing that's going on. It doesn't matter. It, yeah. There's still a point where... If you are not, if you don't use this faith, you are not justified. So your justification still hinges on what you do with it. It is, it is the beginning of the justification. It is the act of it. So God has done something, provided something, it's there. And then you have to be given something. Okay, you have to have faith. Um, some have written and, and said imputed into you. Grace is not imputed yeah. into you, but faith is imputed into you. So you have faith imputed into you, so you can have righteousness imputed. Yeah. Now, well, that right? and, and that depends. Like if you look at um, uh, the Augsburg Confession, Article Four of that, faith is understood as um, as as like a a conduit in which grace flows through, and that that and that faith is is passive there, and then that justifies someone but um in in this sense it's that faith is um something that needs to be exercised something that needs to be done it has a a an active function to it okay and if that active function isn't done then you're not justified okay Okay. which means that 
God does not declare you righteous. If, if we define justification as um, being sinless and righteous, you know, being declared sinless and being declared righteous, um, you know, Romans uh, chapter four, where, where uh, Paul's explaining that. And th- at that point, it says that, you know, God declares the ungodly just. Okay. Well, what we're saying is that, well, no, God's declaration is not what makes you just or not. It's not what justifies you. It's actually your exercising of the faith. Okay. And so you're doing something that motivates God to look favorably upon you by exercising your faith. That's the definition of merit. So you are actually meriting your justification by something going on by something happening, by, by either, you know, you have a a faith that's always been there that needs to just be awakened or you're completely dead. Like if you went the total depravity route and like the furthest extreme of it, that you're totally dead, nothing you can do until God pours something into you, until he infuses something into you, imputes something into you that then you take that and then you do something with it. Then you're justified. Well, you know, Bruce Demarest has uh, a view that is is specifically like this, where he says, as a Calvinist, he says that you have the new birth that takes place after uh, faith and after justification, which is really unique for a Calvinist. But he says that there is uh, whenever whenever the Holy Spirit comes, he he just uses uh, the uh, the uh, universal call. No, the uh, the the call of the Holy Spirit. You know, you got the call of the Holy Spirit, which goes out to the entire world, and then you got the call yeah, of the Holy yeah. Spirit within Calvinism that just goes out to the elect. And Bruce Demasarest says that is the call of the Holy Spirit is what generates within you the ability to mm-hmm. have faith. And in that sense, the ability to have faith is going to naturally take part because uh, God has called you, and it's yes, irresistible. Yeah. The, the calling but, is irresistible. So then you, you have faith, and then you have the justification. Mm-hmm. And so Bruce Demarest very much has a has an uncommon ordo salus, which is um, uh, different than most Calvinists. Yeah, and, but, but the, the point there is, like, okay, think about it like this. Where is the action taking place? Is it taking place in the declaration of God, or is it taking place in uh, the individual? If the action is taking place in the individual, then how is that not merit? How is that not effort? How is that not work? That's kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at here. How do we get around this problem as Protestants, just in general, yeah. that it, it is a work, but it's not a work? Because I've, I've read a, a lot on this. This was, um, you know, the, the main focus of my thesis in seminary. And I have read yeah. some of the most confusing paragraphs that you have ever seen in your life on this. And, uh, yeah. and John Murray yeah. in, in his work, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, is probably has probably one yeah. of the most confusing paragraphs you will ever hear in your entire life regarding this. Yeah, I can, that I can see it that. Is, it is something that you have to do, but it's not something that you can do, but you have to do it. But if you admit that it's something that you have to do, you actually forfeit the fact that it is something that you have to do. And Piper goes along those, those yeah, routes that's, too. That's tough. That's and tough. so it okay. says, um, uh, let me, let me see if I can, if I can find the quote here, it's, it's phenomenal to, to, to understand here. Um, okay. So he says here, um, 
this is in 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 his work um redemption accomplished and applied uh page let me see one one twelve to one thirteen and he says um uh let's see the efficacy of faith does not reside in itself faith is not something that merits the favor of God it is not faith that saves but faith in Jesus Christ. Strictly speaking, it is not even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. It is at the point of faith in Christ that our responsibility is engaged to the fullest extent. The act of regeneration does not come within the sphere of our responsible action. Faith does. And we are never relieved of the obligation to believe in Christ to the saving of our souls. So that sounds like it's, it's nothing that we can do, but we better do it. Yeah. And, and yeah. Nothing that you can do, but it's something that God has given you the ability to do, but it's not something that has merit. That, well, that's what saying. he's trying to say. And it's, it's just very confusing yeah. to wrap your head around that because, um, this is, this was one of the benefits to going to an Anglican seminary, um, uh, that you're surrounded by people that are not in the Calvinist Armenian debate. And really this is not yeah. a big issue for them. Like they, they, yeah. they have their opinions on it. They have their views and stuff, but they don't, they don't dig into it. Like, like reformed you know, people do. And I would have them yeah. read paragraphs like this and they, they were just like dumbfounded. They were like, this is the most confusing borderline contradictory thing I've ever read in my life. And, and yeah. what seems to be the, and, and I went through a couple systematic theologies too, to look at them. And, and the central thing was, this is something that you have to do, but don't you dare admit that it's something that you have to do. It's a soft <laughs> anathema against yeah. that. Yeah. And and I was like, and, and it's just <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it's almost like you feel like, um, uh, you know, George Costanza's dad, you know, where he, where he came up with Festivus, where he's like, you know, as I was getting a doll for my son and I'm reading blows on the man's head, I'm thinking there must be a better way. And, and that's, and that's kind of where I was at. I was like, wait a minute. If, if, if this is true, that we are in fact justified by our faith and it is some type of effort, why are we shying away from that? Like, if that's God's word, why aren't we just embracing it and saying, yeah, it is a works-based salvation. What's so wrong with that? You know, I mean, theologically, yeah. we can move around, you know, Paul's use of, of um, you know, works of the law and stuff like that. We can say, well, okay, that was just the works of the the Torah, like just the, you know, and, yeah. and it's not these other works. It's not this as, um, <coughs> excuse me, as um, Jonathan Edwards accused the um, the Anglicans of the time and of, of, com of being neonomians coming up with some new law. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah. why not? Like, why are we so afraid of that? And if it is something that is, you know, merit based, but it's something that's been infused within us, why don't we just admit that also, you know? Yeah. And so. Yeah. Which, which the Catholic view is similar, but the Catholic view does not have the, um, the justification that comes after faith Correct. in that sense, we, you know, it has the, the process to justification. Yeah. We, we think about, I mean, it's you think about the way that Catholics think about grace and all we've done is remove the word grace and we've put the idea of faith in there. And, and yeah. that's just been it. Hey, thanks for listening to Divergent Theology. You can visit our websites at credohouse.org or thetheologypit.com and make a donation. Support the ministry that way. Now, here's a quick look at next week's Divergent Theology. And I'm like, well, how is baptism not a work then? And he said, because 
we baptize by faith. And so now, but, but we do this, don't we? we? We use the word faith as this catch-all. Like anything in faith, yeah. anything that we can put the label of faith to necessarily yeah. can't be a work. Even if it has yeah. all of the attributes of a work, it, we still, we'll still yeah. make the claim, no, it's not a work because it's faith. I 